0: This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin.
1: Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, isn't the Bible full of contradictions? We're asking this question today to Gillian Asquith. Now Gillian lectures in New Testament at Greek at several Melbourne Theological Colleges. Her areas of interest include the transmission of the text of the New Testament and Biblical Archaeology. Please welcome Gillian Asquith. Yeah. Well, Gillian, welcome back to Bigger Questions. You've been on the show a couple of times now.
0: I have, thank you very yeah. much. I do always enjoy being grilled by you. Oh,
1: good, good. That's, um, good. Well, so this time something's a bit different compared to the last time you were on the show. You've started something new. You've started a PhD.
0: I have. Can you tell us a bit about that? I'm looking at um, documents that were written um, probably a couple of hundred years either side of the New Testament in the same kind of language as the New Testament. These all turned up in rubbish dumps uh, from ancient Egypt. They were unearthed about hundred years ago. Right. And they help us refine our understanding of the vocabulary of okay. the New Testament.
1: So you just search through rubbish... That's literally, what you, literally, your PhD yeah. is My
0: rubbish. PhD is a whole lot of rubbish. <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay, well, to kick off bigger questions, we do like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're talking with Gillian Asquith about if the Bible is full of contradictions. So, Gillian, our smaller questions to you today are how well do you know contradictions in songs? Now, do you feel qualified at all?
0: Not at all, <laughs> Okay,
1: no. right. Well, we'll see how we go. We do try to help our guests to pass. So there's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, the song Oh Susanna is a minstrel song first published in 1848 and is among the most popular American songs ever written. Yet the song contains contradictory statements. Now, which of the following contradiction is an actual line from the song? Okay, you have gotta pick the actual line from the song. Was it A, I come from Alabama and also from Louisiana, Was it B, it rained all night the day I left, the weather, it was dry? Was it C, I had a banjo on my knee and also in my arms? Or was it D, Susanna, don't you laugh, Susanna, don't you cry? So which of those was an actual line from the song, Oh Susanna?
0: Oh, I think I'm just gonna go for D.
1: That would be a good guess, but unfortunately it's not right. (laughs) So, I'm sorry. It was actually B. Uh, It rained all night the day I left. The weather, it was dry.
0: Okay. Um,
1: Well, some of those might not actually be technically contradictions though, might they? I mean, you can still laugh and cry at the same time. You could? You think? Yeah. I
0: feel like doing that right now. (laughs)
1: Okay, Okay, question two. Which of the following musical artists has not produced a song with the word contradiction in the title? Was it A, Mclemore? B, Green Day, C, Natalie Imbruglia, or D, The Wiggles. So which of those did not produce a song with contradiction in the title of the song?
0: Hmm, I'm probably a bigger expert on The Wiggles, having brought up two kids, so I think I'm gonna go for them.
1: And that's probably a good one to go with because it's the correct answer, yes. Mclemore had a song called Contradiction, Green Day, Walking Contradiction, and Natalie Imbruglia, Contradictions. Do you imagine a kid's song? Called contradictions.
0: Kids are full of contradictions, aren't they? So they don't need a do song. But
1: they think they could spell it, though.
0: Good question. Probably yeah, not. Probably
1: not. Okay. Well, anyway, Gillian, you're an expert in contradictions, which, uh, which to some might mean that you're an expert in understanding the Bible, because you got one of our two smaller questions right. Big round of applause for Gillian. <laughs> you passed. So, Gillian, a contradiction is where there's an inconsistency where we expect consistency. So where a fact or a detail is inconsistent with another account, like, for example, it raining all night and the weather being dry. Now, when considering history, if there's lots of contradictions between accounts, wouldn't that make us worry about how accurately one or either of the historians have preserved historical events?
0: Yeah, I think if there were contradictions between a lot of major elements, it would be a serious concern. Um, but when it comes to looking at history and seeing contradictions on minor details, um, we need to hold loosely our post-enlightenment preoccupation with every single detail matching up. Mm-hmm. You know, if I told a story, let, let's say my uh, my dad told a story about a holiday we went on in 1976, um, there was some funny punchline, and then my mum told the same story a couple of years later, but she dated it to 1977, I'm not going to not believe the story just because the dates are different. Mm. Um, that's a minor and irrelevant detail about the story. The punchline is still the mm. same.
1: So, you're saying when, you, when you're comparing historical accounts, sometimes there are differences that different historians record, but you don't immediately dispense with the history that's recorded there.
0: That's right, and historians today recognise that.
1: Right, and that's one of the things that historians use to assess documents.
0: Exactly. Exactly everything we have as a record of an event has um, uh, been processed by human beings and human beings uh, come at everything from different perspectives.
1: Mm. Well, when we consider the Bible, though, there are differences in the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have, which are the, the four Gospels. So, for example, many point to the Christmas story as demonstrating contradictions between the accounts of Jesus' life because there are significant differences between them. For example, only two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, describe Jesus' birth. The other two, Mark and John, never mention it at all. Now, these don't these discrepancies or these differences don't seem to fall in the category of minor and irrelevant discrepancies. So, is this a problem?
0: I don't think it is a problem. So, I think the gospel writers had different agendas. Now, Mark's gospel, we think, was written first. We don't know whether he had access to the Christmas stories. If he did and decided not to use them wouldn't be a problem because his agenda is to show Jesus right from the start as the Messiah that has been promised from the Old Testament. So he has Jesus hurtling around the Galilean countryside. He's performing miracles at every opportunity, just the kind of things that would be expected when the Messiah turned up. Mm -hmm. So it suits Mark's agenda to have Jesus straight away immediately doing all of the things that is uh, appropriate for a Messiah to do. When it comes to John's gospel, John is just as interested in Matthew and Luke that God took on human form and dwelt amongst humanity. But rather than showing it from the perspective of him being born of a woman, he shows it from the perspective of um, Jesus being coexistent with God, being an agent of creation and having all of that sovereignty and glory yet coming to dwell on earth. So he's still interested in the incarnation, he just goes about it a little bit differently.
1: Right, but... But even then the two stories of Jesus' birth that we do have in Matthew and Luke, um, they differ on key details. So some even claim that they contradict each other on almost every detail. So for example, traditional Christmas pageants just depict shepherds and wise men side by side, yet Luke records shepherds with no record of wise men, and Matthew doesn't agree because he records wise men and no shepherds. And then there's the stars only found in Matthew, angels only in Luke, and both have different names for uh, Joseph's father and grandfather. So. With so many differences like this, well, how can, we, how can we trust these documents?
0: That's a really good question. So I'll deal first with the differences like the angel, uh, the shepherds, uh, the wise men, uh, those kind of details of the story. So what we find with the birth narratives is that the gospel writers um, pick elements from those stories that they then use later on in their gospels. So Matthew is intently interested um, in showing that Jesus is the Messiah who was prophesied in the Old Testament. So he uses elements from the story that show how those prophecies apply to Jesus. So for example, um, Joseph and his family are warned in a dream to go down to Egypt uh, because Herod is going to kill the babies. Mm-hmm. And then when they return, Matthew can link that with an Old Testament prophecy that says out of Egypt I called my son. So. Matthew is writing for a Jewish audience. He wants to show that Jesus has a royal lineage, that he is worthy to be worshipped by eminent people like uh, wise men.
1: So it would be natural for him to include story of wise men. That's right. And probably not so much to include rabble like a shepherd's perhaps. No,
0: and Luke's agenda is very different. So throughout Luke's Gospel he has an interest in showing how Jesus uh, took an interest in and had compassion on the outcasts of society. Mm-hmm. The disreputable people, tax collectors, shepherds. It was a, it was a dirty profession. So Luke picks those elements of the story that then he can run with later on in the story um, of Jesus' life. Mm.
1: So in some ways it's come back to that different perspectives, different emphases. They've selected different material to, uh, to present the kind of the, the key themes that they want to bring out in the character of Jesus.
0: That's exactly right. The problem comes though when we look at the genealogies, Uh, you mentioned that. Well,
1: They've got different grandfathers, Joseph has different uh, fathers and grandfathers.
0: They do, and that's uh, something that people have proposed a number of alternative solutions to why the genealogies uh, of Jesus are so different. Um, We know that genealogies didn't work in the ancient world exactly as they do today. To us a genealogy is a family tree, and we want to know every step and every single person. Uh, Genealogies in the ancient world could skip generations if they wanted to uh, condense how long the the genealogy was. The ultimate aim of both of them is to show that Jesus is descended from King David and ultimately from Abraham. Luke takes it back even further to Adam because Luke wants to show that um, Jesus uh, was descended from the, the universal human being. But it doesn't alter the fact that as we get further through the genealogy, there are differences, Mm, and mm. it's something we have to live with. There are suggestions. So so how then
1: do we know that they're writing history and not just making it up?
0: Yeah, so that's a really good question, and I think there are two things we need to bear in mind. The first one is that when the Gospels were being written, eyewitnesses to these events were still alive. So you've got a natural corrector there for falsehoods being uh, distributed, the it wasn't like that, Mm. (laughs) don't don't trust that account because I was there and I can tell you it really wasn't like that at all. And then there's another element, if the early church was going to make up a whole lot of stories about their illustrious leader, they'd want to have their illustrious leader making uh, pronouncements about things that were important in the life of the early church. So we know from the book of Acts and some of Paul's letters that there were several really big problems in the early church. What to do with Gentiles was a very big problem. Should they be circumcised in order for them to be acceptable to God as Christians? Jesus said absolutely nothing about that. Now surely if you were making something up you'd want him to be able to speak into that problem so you can say, oh look, is what, this, this is what Jesus This is what this Jesus, is what Jesus the guy that Settles we follow, it. says. Yeah. Yes, and there are several other um, elements that were in, uh, of interest to the early church that just don't appear on Jesus' lips at all.
1: So you think that that means that they were actually concerned with recording what Jesus really did say rather than just trying to make it up wholesale?
0: That's right. And when it comes to the things that Jesus did say, each of the Gospel writers, puts a slightly different slant on Jesus. So Luke noticed that Jesus has a concern for the outcasts in society, the people who were not highly regarded. Women uh, back then, Uh, I've mentioned the um, professions like shepherds, tax collectors, prostitutes. So he's seen something different in his sources that the other gospel writers haven't seen. And so he shapes his gospel to bring that out. It's a little bit like, um, I went to a, a funeral of a family friend recently and I was asked to give the eulogy. Well actually there were four of us uh, who'd been asked to to give a eulogy. Uh, I was the family friend, there was a work and technical colleague, there was a granddaughter and a son. And we all gave slightly different perspectives on the person. When taken as a whole people at the end of the funeral came up to us and said oh you just managed to to encapsulate the essence of the person so well you know you each said different things but it all contributed to the overall picture of the person that we knew and loved Mm. and I think that's a good way of looking at the differences uh, looking at a lot of the differences in the Gospels
1: Mm. so should we then try to reconcile them do you think
0: Um, not necessarily um, I think we can say that the gospel writers were writing uh, with different purposes. Uh, they each had a different audience, and so there were different things that they would bring out.
1: Mm. Okay. Well, the differences in the story of the birth of Jesus is one thing, but Christians make a lot more of the resurrection, about him being Jesus being raised from the dead. Yet, differences exist in the four resurrection accounts in the four gospels. So, sceptical scholar Bart Ehrman asks. How many women went to the empty tomb? What were their names? How was the stone rolled away before or after they arrived? What did they see there? One man, two or two angels? Were they told to go to Galilee or not? How, again, how do we reconcile these differences?
0: Yeah, so Bart is exactly right. If you read carefully through those accounts, all of those differences are there. We need to remember that the initial sources of the material that finds its way into the Gospels were oral recollections. We, of course, don't live in an oral society. We live in a literate society. So we need to put ourselves into the shoes of people who are passing things on orally. Mm -hmm. And uh, research has been done to show that there were certain controls in place to make sure that the overall major details of a story didn't alter, but you would expect peripheral details to change as a story is passed along. So the peripheral details in the resurrection stories would be how many women, at what point the stone was rolled away, how many angels were there. But the key point that the tomb was empty, Jesus wasn't there, that he appeared to some women uh, and then appeared later to disciples is consistent across all the stories. That's exactly what we would expect from uh, what we call controlled oral tradition. And the control, of course, is the eyewitnesses, who were still alive when these traditions were being written down. Mm. Um, I do remember once going to the Immigration Museum, this was years ago, and they had a display there um, uh, which was a recording of a a government official talking about how they assessed people's applications for visas uh, to come to Australia after they'd been through uh, traumatic experiences. If you had a family who'd all been through the same experience, the immigration officers would be looking for small differences in the stories. They'd
1: be looking for, almost looking for contradictions. They would
0: be. And that would show them that that the people's experiences were genuine. They had filtered them through their memory um, and they had all had slightly different perspectives on what had gone on. And as they recounted it, these things came out. If the family had sat together in a room and made up a story um, and said, now, we need to get it absolutely right on all of these little bits, the immigration officer said that that would be a cause for suspicion. Mm. So, actually, the um, differences in the resurrection accounts actually speak volumes about the credibility of them.
1: Yes, yes. But then the question is raised, though. If God is perfect, why are there differences? Couldn't God have just ironed them all out? Of course he could.
0: Sure, he could have, but he didn't. He chose not to. Um, And whilst I don't have access to the mind of God, there are things that the Bible tells us that are consistent with with the fact that there are differences between um, the accounts of Jesus. So God has always chosen to work through people with all of their foibles, with all of their inconsistencies. Think about the disciples. What a motley crew they were. Mm. You know, they deserted Jesus at his time of need. There are stories about them jostling with each other to who can, who can have the prime place um, in, in, uh, once we get to heaven. You know, they were self-seeking. God chose to work through them. Mm. And in fact, the only reason we have the Gospels today is because of their um, traditions that were passed on, that are all traditions. So God, in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, chooses to work through ordinary human beings so we need to ditch this idea of the Bible having come to us as kind of a product of divine dictation Mm. God has used people ordinary people like you and me to communicate his truths to us
1: Mm. Mm. well today's big question is isn't the Bible full of contradictions and we've been exploring an answer with Gillian Asquith based on the way history was written in the ancient world and the purposes of the Gospel writers. But the Bible itself gives some reasons for why there may be differences in the account. So consider the opening verses of the Gospel of Luke, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have. Luke 1.1 says, "...many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us." So Gillian, that seems to indicate that the Gospel writers themselves knew that there were other accounts. Of the life of Jesus.
0: Yeah and um, people who've really looked into this in detail think that there would have been other written accounts, there would have been lots of accounts that were still oral at that point not having been written down and Luke would have had access uh, to all of these.
1: Mm -hmm. And then Luke wrote his account aware of the presence of eyewitnesses as you've mentioned earlier uh, as verse 2 continues just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So what's the significance of the presence of eyewitnesses as we consider differences in the Gospel accounts?
0: So it really helps us be sure that the accounts are reliable. Given that eyewitnesses passed on the traditions and were still alive when uh, the Gospels were written, there's a um, mechanism there for checking the accuracy. We also know that it's not as if there were 10 generations of, of Chinese whispers before the Gospels were written down. We're talking at a very, very early stage.
1: So what's the purpose then of Luke writing another account? So verse 3 then says, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So does he think that the other writers got a lot of wrong about Jesus, that so he decides to correct them all and write his own account? <laughs>
0: That's a good question. We think that Ma- uh, Mark's gospel was written first, and about 90% of Mark's gospel appears in uh, Matthew and Luke's gospels. So they obviously didn't think it was wrong. Um, but... Uh, Matthew and Luke had access to a whole lot of extra material that isn't there in in Mark's gospel. Uh, Some of them best-loved parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the prodigal son, only appear in Luke's gospel. So if we didn't have that, we would be much the poorer uh, for knowing the kinds of stories that Jesus told and the truths that he revealed about God.
1: Mm. So it means Luke may have access to different witnesses or different um, traditions that he wanted to supplement the existing material with
0: that's exactly right so it's not as it's not that he's correcting mark or wanting mark's gospel necessarily to be discarded but he's augmenting it with material that he feels is important for the church to have
1: Mm. so do you think it's significant then that the early church preserved four different accounts of the life of jesus
0: i think it's very significant Um, it almost didn't happen there were attempts over the centuries uh, to to the number of gospels so, there was one fellow in particular who felt that all of the Gospels, apart from Luke's, were just too Jewish in flavor. Uh, Luke's Gospel, Luke was a Gentile himself. And this guy even felt that he was, that there were parts of Luke's Gospel that were problematic. So, um, he proposed that the church should just have Luke's Gospel, uh, minus the bits that he didn't like. <laughs> um, then there was another fellow who decided that he would put together all four Gospels into one massive account. Uh, We don't actually have a copy of it. We know about it from other writings, um, but it would be fantastic for it to turn up, and then I could do another PhD. (laughs) Um, uh, But the church realized that to have this fourfold witness to Jesus um, gives us a much fuller picture than one particular account could ever do. And the beauty of having four accounts is that when we compare the differences, we can actually see what the emphases are of each particular one. So when we see stories in Luke's gospel about Jesus um, loving and respecting the outcasts of society, and we don't see those there in Matthew, it helps us focus on that aspect of Jesus. When we see um, Matthew's way of showing how Jesus fulfilled Old Testament prophecy... It does the same thing in that regard.
1: Now, a number of questions have come through in our text line here from our live audience. Uh, One of them kind of relates to that is where can we draw the line for what's a peripheral detail? Could we consider miracles being peripheral or Jesus teaching? Like, where do we draw the line?
0: Yeah, so that's a really good question, isn't it? Some people do like to draw the line at miracles and say, well, they were just a product of the early church. Problem is that our faith is based on one massive miracle of Jesus being resurrected from the dead and if you don't have that then Paul in one of his letters says those of us who who believe that are to be pitied more than anybody else so if you're going to um, accept the major tenet of Christianity that is Jesus rose from the dead you have to acknowledge the possibility for miracles Mm -hmm. Um, so then um, if you discard that all you've got is Jesus being a good moral teacher. Mm.
1: But where do you draw the line about where you consider a detail just merely peripheral or central to the, the, sort of, sort of, the story that's being told?
0: Minor differences such as uh, the number of people involved in something. The event still happened. So if you can say to yourself, this event would still have been more or less the same... Even if it was on a different day or going to a town rather than from a town or with two people rather than one person. You can still get the,
1: the gist of the story. You the, can. The, 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 you the essence can. of the story. That's right. Yeah. Okay. It would appear that there's lots about Jesus that wasn't recorded. As the very last verse of the Gospel of John says in John 21:25, which says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. So does this mean that there might be lots of other material that maybe even didn't even make the Gospels or that there's lots of material to share about Jesus?
0: Oh there would have been a huge amount more and I love this verse because this to me uh, tells us so much about what the Gospel writers were doing. They weren't setting out to write a comprehensive account of absolutely everything Jesus did. If they did then it would be more problematic for us to say, well, how come this account has it one thing, but this account doesn't? But we know from that verse and from Luke's um, uh, introduction to his gospel that the gospel writers were purposely selective. Um, And often uh, in Mark's gospel, he'll make little summary statements. He said, oh, Jesus went round lots and lots of villages, healing lots of people, casting out demons, preaching about the kingdom of God. And we don't get any more information than that. Sometimes he focuses on a particular event. Um, so, yeah, but there would have been enough, um, as John said, to fill a whole lot more <laughs> gospels. Um, but we have to be we have to be satisfied with the four that we have. And
1: plenty more PhDs there as well, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Richard Dawkins in *The God Delusion* chides unsophisticated Christians who think the Bible a literal and accurate record by asking. Why don't they ever notice these glaring contradictions? Now, well, today we have noticed and examined and reflected on these glaring contradictions. So have you been persuaded then to reject scripture and become an atheist?
0: No, I haven't. Um...
1: So why not? So is it just because you've been indoctrinated or, you know, ignore all counter evidence? Well, there's a question that's come through here that says... Science recognises contradictions and corrects its theories, but religions just say you don't understand this holy book and never changes their position. So at what point does the Bible just become unreliable or you know, you're know, you just believing because you've been indoctrinated to believe it?
0: Okay, good question. Some work has been done on Luke's gospel, looking at um, the names that, uh, not the major players, but the names of incidental people that Jesus comes across. Now, Luke wasn't a native of first century Palestine. He wasn't a Jew either. He was Gentile. Uh, he didn't speak Aramaic. Yet the um, distribution of names, the ones that occur the most, the ones that occur the least, are exactly in keeping with other Jewish literature of the time. So it's really hard to make up those kind of details. And when you see um, how accurate uh, Luke is in, in, those, in the, that regard, then um, it, that helps me uh, to weigh the, the evidence uh, for credibility versus Um, uh, unbelievability. Mm.
1: So Gilliam, isn't the Bible full of contradictions?
0: There are some contradictions in the Bible. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and say no there aren't. Are they an issue? No they're not. Many of them can be explained by the way we look at history, the way we look at human memory, um, the way we see God working through human history. The odd ones that still remain for us at the moment for me, are outweighed by the overwhelming evidence.
1: Let me leave you with some of the Bible's reflections on the big question, isn't the Bible full of contradictions? From John 21, 25. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that could be written. I look forward to you joining us next time for bigger questions. Please thank our guest today, Gillian Asquith.
0: Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com biggerquestions.